Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, I missed being here last week. I'm thankful for the opportunity to um, go and, and be a part of this, the wedding we were at. And so thank you for that. But we did, I did miss being here. I, I was talking to someone earlier that it's just, um, it's different being away now. You know, I, w- I want to be with my church family, and so I'm glad to be here with you today. We're in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to finish out the chapter today. And this is, um, this is just a, a, a few days before the week before Jesus' death. And, um, and, and we're kind of seeing these moments lead up to what, um, what Christ is, is going to ultimately do in laying down his life. And, and here today we see the third time Jesus foretells, he talks to the disciples about his death. And so for me, anytime the scriptures speak something in multiples, it, it means it's very important. Well, Jesus is telling his disciples for the third time um, what he's about to walk into, what's, what's coming up. And he does it with some specific detail in, in, in this section. And really, um, there's an argument that, that people say, well, this is something that they've learned and since kind of backtracked and wrote it in there because so, they knew what was going to happen. But the reality of it is, is this is Jesus, the Son of God, prophesying the things that he's about to go through. Just showing one more layer of his deity, of, of who he is, and understanding um, his place to come and, and to lay his life down um, as a servant for all. And so today, what we're going to see the scripture point us through the rest of this chapter is what the road to greatness looks like. The road to greatness. This idea of what the scripture calls us uh, or shows us today and demonstrates is what true greatness is. And it's not... Um, defined by the world standards of greatness, but it's defined by the kingdom of God and what we see Jesus exemplifying in this passage today. And we're going to see the disciples struggle, and we're going to see a great object lesson at the end. But the reality of it is, is Jesus is our example. He's the one who leads us to a fuller understanding of what true greatness is. And if we all want that, and we do, I mean, we're, we're born with that desire to be great, to, to, to have a great life, to enjoy this. But the road to greatness, what we'll see today, is, is, is marked with sacrifice. It's marked with servanthood. Um, it's, it's hindered by pride. But we see that Jesus offers uh, a, a great example of this. I remember as a kid, um, from, from a very young age, I, I loved basketball, and I fell in love with the sport. And all I wanted to do as a kid was be great at basketball. Like, I, I had that desire. Maybe some of you can understand that. There's sports or just something that um, we all as kids um, have our dreams. And I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was obsessed with it. I, I, I loved it. I watched it. I wore the jerseys. I played on every team I could play on. And, and as I got older, um, one summer, my parents um, for, for my, mine and my brother's birthdays, poured us a, a little small concrete pad, and we were able to put a goal on it. And about 12 years old, and man, I'm telling you, I didn't come off that court unless it was <laughs> too late to be out there. I couldn't see or too cold to be out there. I remember as a kid, 
I would go play in the wintertime until my ball would get so cold that it would be too flat to dribble. And I would come in, I would set it by the heater, and it would heat up and it would get tight again. I would go outside and play because I loved basketball and I wanted to be great. That was my goal. As a kid, I was a tall kid. And when I go to the doctor and say, you're going to be like 6'7 or 6'8. And I was like, perfect. Like, I'm going to be a basketball star. Um, at 13, I quit growing. And, or 13 or 14, I just stopped. And so I never achieved that greatness. And so I, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to change my, my position. I'm just going to have to work harder. And so I did. And, and I just continually um, went after that. And, and, and to be honest, there were times where I felt like I was pretty good at basketball, um, only to come against somebody who was much better than me, and I would realize how little my greatness actually was. Like, there's always somebody who will humble us, right? If you're a Razorback fan, uh, you understand that. <laughs> we were humbled uh, by a, a superior team in, in Alabama, and as much as nobody wants to admit that, there's just truth in that. There's always someone who's greater and better, and it'll put us in our place. And I say this to just say this week I was really reminded of, 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 of what my greatness amounted to. I mean, I went after this for a long time until I was older in high school and realized this is just going to be something I, I enjoy doing. Um, it wasn't going to be my life's path. My dad cleaned out some boxes in his garage that's been put up probably since we were kids. And um, this week, and he started sending some pictures of things over a, a family text. And this is what my greatness has amounted to. He found a box that had some old newspaper clippings. And it had my name in a few spots. And, and I, I was just thinking about this week, all of those years, all of that love, all of that passion. And the greatest accomplishment for me is that my family text got to see that I scored some points at a game 20 years ago, right? Like that was the, the, the amount of greatness that I've achieved and I loved it and I went after it. But the things of this world are going to fade. Like when we try to achieve greatness according to the world's standards, it, it amounts to newspaper clippings on a family text. Guess what? Nobody cared. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, it reminded me of some really fun moments, but nobody cared. Not one person responded to those except for me. And I was like, okay, you know that, and that was a huge part of my life and my story. And, and I think we all have that. We all have that in us to, to want that greatness of something. And sometimes we're reminded with a slap in the face that our greatness just didn't amount to much. But the Word of God teaches us today that there is a way to achieve greatness. There's a way to hold on to greatness. And it's not found within the hours and hours of work and all your accomplishments added up but it's found in the person you look to who is truly great, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we try to achieve greatness, what the Bible's going to teach us today is this truth, that true greatness is achieved through a relationship with Jesus and looking to him for him to share his glory and greatness with us. So let's look at this today. Starting in verse 32. It says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to them, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, 
and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those from whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now, Lord, as as your word speaks, God, that we will hear. Lord, that we will listen, Um, God, that it will remind us of of things we may already know, but God, that it will um, just encourage and and, and revive and and just um, stir our hearts towards um, living life in in such a way, Lord, to achieve true greatness. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your word, and Lord, we pray in this time, Lord, that we would just surrender to these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here we see a third time of Jesus foretelling the disciples. Um, They are on the road going to Jerusalem, getting ready. In chapter 11, it's the triumphal entry. It's getting ready um, for for the week of of Jesus' death and and, and all the teaching and things that happens at the end. But right here, they're, they're walking to this place. And some of them are amazed and some of them are, are in fear because they probably have heard some things of what might be happening. And, and, and Jesus, is something interesting in this, is who's leading the way? Jesus was walking ahead of them. Like he was the one leading to them to the cross, right? Like he's the one knowing where they're going and he's the one leading. You would think that someone who's about to face all that he's about to face would be uh, back in the crowd somewhere, maybe in the mix, but no, he's the one leading because here's the deal. Jesus knew what he was coming up to. Jesus knew what was about to happen. In fact, he's fixing to tell the disciples again. He knew the pain and suffering, but Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. He was giving it. That's, what, that's an interesting thing we can see just in that very first part, that Jesus is walking ahead. He's willingly leading this group. Some were afraid because they didn't fully know what might happen. But Jesus tells them, see, we were going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief of priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. 
One of the things we're going to see on our journey to greatness is that the way of true greatness is through sacrifice. The way of true greatness is through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ will make. He's there to lay his life down. To, to, he's telling the disciples again, I've come all of this time to establish a kingdom, but what my kingdom is going to be established through is me laying my life down and serving uh, the, the will of the Father in this way and offering an opportunity for, for those of him who are outside that kingdom to come into the kingdom through a relationship with Jesus. He is there to sacrifice. He says right here, he's going to be uh, delivered not just to the Jewish leaders, but to the Gentiles. Even at this time, this would have been a big deal that they would think, oh my goodness, like even the Gentiles are going to take you over in this moment. And he says, yes, I'm going to be delivered to them. I'm going to be, um, they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and then kill him. He knows the thing that he's going to, and he's a willing sacrifice. He's leading the group to the place that he knows it's going to happen. This is Jesus' heart. Jesus is our example. I told you this, the, the, the example of true greatness is not, and look what I have done, but it's look what Jesus is doing, and how can I be like Jesus? And Jesus says the way to true greatness is, number one, marked by the sacrifice we make. And Jesus is making the ultimate sacrifice. And the Bible tells us in the end of Philippians that God will, because of what Jesus does, who humbles himself to the cross, that God is going to lift him up and exalt his name above every other name, right? That, that he's going to be exalted and glorified, and there's going to be no name uh, under heaven greater than the name of Jesus. And so his sacrifice leads to his being made great and being glorified, because he is the Son of God who has come to lay down his life. And so the way of true greatness is marked by sacrifice. Great leaders are often those who have lived lives of sacrifice. The ones that we want to follow are the ones that we can see that the pattern of their lives have been ones who have given, who have, who have made great presidents because they've, they've fought in battles and because they've went to war and because they understand what it means to sacrifice for the good of others. Those are the people you want leading you. We understand that, and Jesus exemplifies this in even a greater way because he's going to establish his kingdom through his sacrifice. And he shows us that the way of true greatness is sacrifice. And where we're going to hang out a little bit longer today is in the second point. The way of true greatness is hindered by pride. It's hindered by pride. We see this, that he tells the disciples for the third time, they've heard this again and again, that Jesus is going to lay his life down. And it's just unbelievable to me that their minds immediately go, make me great. I, I'm hearing this, but, but Lord, make me great. And that's what they're calling. And if you look at verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, they said, grant it to us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. They are asking to be in a place of honor in heaven with Jesus. Set us at your left and right. That is a pretty bold question, right? 
that they would hear that Jesus is saying, I'm coming, I'm going to be beaten and spit on and made fun of and, and to be killed. And they don't understand all the, the glory and the beauty of that gospel that, that when he rises again until he does. And so they just know what he's willing to do to lay down his life. And their response is, hey, when you're dead and, and you're in glory and you're ruling reign, will you make us great with you? Will you bring us into this place of honor? See, in, in their time, the kings would often have people sit on their left and right who were, who were people that, that they trusted, people that he wanted to honor, and they would have a place in their kingdom, and it would be to, to honor them and, and to share in their glory. And this is what they ask. I think it's unbelievable that, that they would hear the sacrifice. They would be with Jesus for all of these years, and see him minister and see him time and time again call the little children to himself and go out of his way to heal people and, and, and just meet the needs of others and just continually live a servant life. And yet they say, hey, where's my place? Well, you know that this heart of this matter doesn't even go away in the upper room. They would be arguing about who's the greatest of us. The disciples would be arguing among themselves and right before Jesus' death, who's the best? Which one of us has done the best of this? This is what we're seeing is, a, is a, another glimpse into the heart of humanity that we are broken with a desire for ourselves and for our own pride. And true greatness is not going to be achieved when we have hearts filled with pride. It is pride that's the led to the, the first sin. It's pride that, that leads to all sins, the building up of ourselves, that, that we would exalt ourselves, that we would desire a great name for ourselves, that we would do everything to achieve what we want and to, to really build up our kingdoms and ourselves in this world. And one of the problem with this is that it keeps us, li- keeps us from living for God. It keeps us from worshiping him. It keeps us from having the right mindset and the right desire to to chase after God and to live for his kingdom when we are all about ourselves. But that is our heart. That is what you've been born with. If you didn't know that, that is your nature, is to be prideful, to desire things for yourself, to be selfish and, and, and want things. The Bible tells us, just in, in a, a few chapters in Proverbs, listen to what it says about pride. Proverbs 8, 13 says, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs eleven twelve says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs 13 says, where there is strife, where there's fighting, there is pride. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Proverbs 16 Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And there were many, many more in the Psalms before that and after that. There's many are in the Proverbs. There's many in the Psalms. There's many times in the New Testament. Time and time again, the Bible speaks to this problem of this prideful sin that we all have. True greatness cannot be about what we can achieve and about what we want. True greatness is when we share in the desire of God's glory in his kingdom. That's where we're going to achieve it. What this does, this sinful pride is a dangerous pride. It's the kind of pride that turns brother against brother. 
It's the kind of pride that, that when we look and, and hear the news stories of all the things that are going on that are messed up in our world and where people are hurting each other and things, it's because of pride. It's because of their desire for what they want at any cost, no matter what it costs someone else. And so people kill and steal and they murder and it's out of pride. It's the one that says that my group of people is better than your group of people. And there, there are social uh, wars going on. There are, world, uh, there are countries at war because of this very sin of pride. We see it. We see it act upon every day. It is dangerous. It's the kind of pride that destroys marriages. It's the kind of pride when you, when you start looking at it, it destroys friendships and, 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 and relationships because it, when you become prideful and it's about your arrogance and about your needs and your desires only, it cannot build up relationship with others. It, it cannot. It's going to destroy. And we see this. We see this as, as one of the main things that destroys uh, marriages in our country. I, I've talked to, to some friends who are, who are far away from here, and, and, and they're not going to mind me sharing this, but, but I, I told them, and I've had this thought that, that pride is, is the problem in this marriage because um, your desires aren't being met and your desires aren't being met, and you can't re- remember that God says, no, your desires are together. It's to love each other. It's to encourage each other. It's to lay down yourselves and love sacrificially. Uh, it, it's to build each other up. It's, it's to submit to each other. And in a marriage, you're supposed to see that, that there's no room for prideful arrogance. There's no room for my own desires only, but it's, it's you together. And, and that's the problem we see often. No one's willing to sacrifice for each other. No one's willing to forgive. No one's willing to look for the good of others at any cost to themselves. And we let pride destroy us. We let pride take us down. We let pride harbor anger and jealousy and all kinds of things because it is, it is the thing that is in all of our hearts. We see this in the, the disciples. This should give us a little bit of hope. I, I think I've said this every time I see the disciples begin to fall, that, that, there's, that it shows me that there's still hope for all of us because these are the people who were with Jesus in person, and they still have these hearts of sin. They still have this brokenness in them, but God's going to continue to work in their lives. And they're going to be people who are what Jesus is going to remind them of, that they are going to drink the cup. They are going to go through difficulty for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so somewhere along the way, God really begins to help them understand and see this. He changes their heart and mind. We have to realize that it's pride, that we're trying to elevate ourselves. is a, a sinful thing. It's a dangerous thing. And it's a thing that does not lead to true greatness. It is a thing that leads to building up earthly wealth. It's a thing that leads to building up an earthly name and fame, but that's all going to pass away. That's all going to fade. Who remembers who won the Super Bowl last year? Anybody? Anybody remember? None of you? I know some of you do. Um, Some of us may not. Who remembers who won the World Series last year? Right? Who remembers uh, who won the NBA championship? Maybe you can name all three of those. Who, who were the MVPs? Who were the greatest players in those series, in those games? Do you remember those? Because at the time and the moment, man, they achieved world greatness. I mean, the stage is set. 
It's, it, it's, it's, they're the best of the best in the moment. And, and often, just a season removed, we can't even remember who carried the title of the greatest. We can't even remember who proved themselves to, to own this greatness. And that's the thing. Worldly greatness is going to fade. There may be some amazing accomplishment, but you're going to be remembered in name only and for how long. But the true greatness is found in the kingdom of God. It's an everlasting greatness, and it's connected to the one who is truly great. He says this, um, and he said, what do you want? I mean, it's almost a crazy thing. Hey, Jesus, do whatever we ask. It's like, I want to get a kid coming to you and saying, I'm going to, Dad, don't say no. Just say yes to whatever I say. If if you've been a parent, you've had kids probably ask you in that way before, like, they wanted this. And so he comes to them and says, hey, Jesus, just do whatever we say, okay? And what we want is that you make us great on your left and your right. And Jesus says, you don't even understand what you're asking. You don't understand what means for true greatness. You don't understand what it is to have that place. In fact, it's not for you. It's the one who God has chosen and prepared this place. But listen to what he says. You do not understand what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? In just a minute, Jesus is going to say, you're going to do these things. But the reality of it is what he's saying here is you can't drink the cup. Because the cup that he's talking about here is the full wrath of God. The cup that he's talking about here, the baptism that he's talking about is, is being put to death for the sins of humanity, of every person who's going to believe in Jesus. He's being put to death for taking on the sins of every person. As the propitiation, as the one who would pay our debt, he's drinking the cup of the wrath of God and taking on the sins of man. And there's no way that they could do this. There is no way that any one of us could drink the cup. We want greatness. We can't achieve true greatness because we can't drink the cup. One, we're not qualified. Jesus was the qualified sacrifice because he lived the perfect life, because he was the Son of God. We are not that. We don't have it within us. And I think that's part of this, that they didn't truly understand. It's like you couldn't even do this if you wanted it. You're not qualified for it, but you couldn't. Take on that cup. You could not drink the cup of the wrath of God. You could not take on the sins of man and being put to death. They didn't understand the fullness of what they were saying, but Jesus did. Jesus understood that the pride of their hearts were the problem, that, that, that this was the issue, this was the thing that was going to hinder the greatness, and he would continue to speak to that. In verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know. 39, he said to them, and they answered, but we are able. We are able. So Jesus said, you can't drink the cup. You, you don't know what you're asking. And they said, but we're able. And that is an arrogant comeback, right? Like, These disciples are just not getting it. I mean, it's, a, it's like just telling someone over and over, and they're just looking at you going, the complete opposite answer. You know, and they're like, I, you don't understand. So Jesus says, hey, you are. Okay, let me, let me bring this back to you a little bit. Let me help you to understand this a little bit and so he, he kind of goes back to them he says um, the cup that I drink you will drink and with the baptism in which I am baptized you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant here's a couple of things I think this is saying 
One is the cup they are going to drink is a cup of sacrifice. It's not the cup that Jesus is drinking, but it is that they're going to be put to death for the gospel and the sake of the kingdom of God. He's saying, yeah, you are. You're going to enter into uh, a, a death, and it's going to help you understand the things that I went through. The Bible tells us that when we, when we go through persecution and stuff, it helps us understand the things that Christ went through on our behalf. It, it connects us to that. Um, but I also think he's saying this, is that we can drink the cup because of Jesus, because he was willing to drink the cup for us. Uh, we can identify with him in his death. We can identify with him when we put our faith and trust in him, that, that, that he does that for us and he offers it to us. His sacrifice paid our debt and he gives us his righteousness, that he has, has taken the cup for us, but he allows us to share in that. And, and, and I think it speaks to that a little bit here that, that yeah, you're going to drink the cup, but it's through Jesus and you're going to go through some difficult times um, because of my name and for my sake. But it's not that, that you're going to be made great because that's for who God has appointed for this. True greatness is hindered by our selfish pride. And Jesus speaks to the disciples' heart and pride. He tries to help them understand this is not the way to greatness. He continues to teach. Listen, in verse 41, it says, And then, the ten heard it, and they became indignant at James and John. They were mad. They were upset. It's not like they sat back and go, I can't believe what they just did. They were just like, they were the crowd going, man, they asked first. Man, they got to, they, they pulled one over on us, right? They got to come after him first. But, um, and so this was the heart of every person there. But, and then Jesus teaches them that true greatness comes through service. The way of true greatness is in service. Verse 42 and now that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. He speaks of who's going to be great among them. It's him. He's going to be the servant of all. He's going to be the slave of all, of, of, of honoring God with his life and being this sacrifice. He says, understand this. You want this kind of greatness. The rulers, those who, who are in place over you, he says that they want to show their power. The kings, like they want to they demonstrate their power. They want to hold it over you. They want at, at, at mostly the cost of the poor and the weak in these kingdoms were the ones who were, who were they were exercising their power over. He said that, that they lord it over you. That's not greatness. They would sit there and understand, well, we don't like that. We don't like being in systems where we're told what we have to do and, and that, that they have all the power and we have none. Does that sound familiar, right? Like that's, our, that's the thing that we, we push against. Nobody likes that. He said that's the, that's the world standard. You have power and so you hold it over them. You have power, you exercise that because of your sinful pride. He said, but let me tell you, the godly way is that even the greatest is going to be the servant of all. This is the mindset that, that we're to be a people who serve, that, that we're to have this heart, that, that we would live for, for the good of others, to love others in this way, to serve the kingdom of God. So many times um, you guys have demonstrated that heart 
People have asked often, how can they help us? What can we do and through moving and, and getting here and getting settled and, and moving again and, and just different things? People come to me all the time. How can we help the church? What can we do? And I see the servant heart of, of so many of you. It's, a, it's such a great reminder that as God works in us, he's, that, that this is the way we're to love others and demonstrate Christ in us is, is to be people who serve. True greatness is a life of service. Jesus shows us that. There's no name above his name. He is the greatest. He's the one to be glorified. He's the one to, be, to, to go after and to live for. He shows us true greatness is through his, his, and it's found in his acts of service. This week I was at a wedding. Last Sunday I was at a wedding. It was Sunday evening, and, and there was a, a time of, of um, in, in the wedding where they did this, uh, really, a, everybody does this. You have a unity candle or you tie a knot or a cross or something often. And what this couple chose to do was to wash each other's feet. And what they were showing and demonstrating to everybody who was sitting there in this kind of quiet, awkward moment for all of us just watching this, but, but what they were doing was they were showing that, that this guy he gets down. This is a big guy. Like, I'm a big guy, but this guy's kind of a big guy. And, and he would tell you that himself. And, and he gets down on his feet. And you could tell this was kind of a struggle. And he washes her feet. He demonstrates that his love for her is going to be a serving kind of love. That he wants to be like Jesus. What's, what's Christ do before, um, before he goes to the cross? Well, this, this great act of humility of, of washing the disciples' feet. He's time and time again showing us how to live as servants for others, for their good, for building up others, for unity and for love and to share what God has done. To, to be truly great is to be someone who serves and loves in this way. True greatness is in spiritual living. He reminds us here that it's not just in service, but it's to have a spiritual mindset it's not to think in like a secular mindset and according to the world standards, but to have this flipped. And in verse 45 and 40, um, 44 and 45, it says, And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. This is a great contrast. Mark is so full of contrast, of, 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 of darkness and light, of of, of, of demons and, and deity and, and just time and time again, these great contrasting moments so that we can just clearly see the picture that, that he's trying to demonstrate. And the way of true greatness is in the kingdom of God. It's upside down from the world standards. They don't understand why you would live in serving others. They don't get that. They don't understand why you would want to love and give your money to things like missions and, and seeing the gospel go out into other parts of the world. Why would you do that? Why not buy the things that you want? Why not first look at these? No, we're supposed to be kingdom-minded people. And then we serve in every aspect of our lives and our giving and our loving and our, and our actions. It's not a, a worldly mindset. It's a spiritual mindset. And Jesus says this is the way we're to live. Even he understood this. Real wealth is kingdom wealth. Real fame is honoring God with your life. Real love is, not, is sacrificial. It's not self-gratifying. Fulfilled purpose is living for Jesus, not yourself. 
Real goodness isn't yours. It's what Jesus Christ gives to you. These things are, are spiritually taught in the Word of God. His righteousness, His will, His glory, His call in our lives to live in His joy in a life connected with Him for His glory. And He brings us into that in His kingdom family. Jason Allen, this pastor and, and, and our great preacher and, and president of the seminary said, we sacrifice for gospel proclamation because he sacrificed for our propitiation. Just a, a simple reminder that we, we give our lives to proclaim Jesus to this world because of all that Jesus gave for our sin. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He lived in a way that honored God. People in the world around him didn't understand. Jesus, why can't you say you're great? That's what the Pharisees want to say. We're great because look at what we did. And Jesus said, I'm going to just continue to do the will of the Father. And then he gives us the very last thing, and we'll quickly look at it. Um, last passage, this object lesson of what this looks like. And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And we heard it, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is Jesus. I mean, just moments from walking into the last week of his life on earth. To the suffering servant, to, to lay down his life. You could imagine uh, in our own minds all the things that might have been going on. And this blind man on the side of the road calls out to him as he's, as he's leaving the town to go to Jerusalem. As, he, as his triumphal entry is, is moments away. And he stops and he says, hey, what's, what's the need of this man? So Jesus, even in, in the very end, is going to show that he serves. That he's willing to love that he's, he's willing to show this man. This guy was a nobody, a blind man, someone outcast by the world. Do you notice something different about this story of the person he heals? It says his name is Bartimaeus. In all the moments in the stories before, they don't name the person who is healed. But from this moment on, this man's name is written in the word of God because of his belief and his trust and his faith in Jesus. You're talking about being made great. He just said, Jesus, son of God, son of David, the one who the scriptures have been telling us that you were coming, the Davidic covenant, the one who would fulfill God's plan, the anointed one, the Christ, will you heal my blindness? He didn't say make me great. He says, will you heal my blindness? And Jesus, and with all that was going on, he stops and he says, your faith has made you heal. Now go on. But I love what the response of the man is. 
And this is where our invitation comes. The response of the man. So what's he do? Does he just go? Does he go and start telling everyone? That was the response of many people. No, what does he do? It says here, immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him. I mean, this guy was healed by Jesus. Jesus said, go on. And he said, I'm coming after you, Jesus. Like, I'm going with you. He was not going to leave Jesus. Because when he encountered him, his faith healed him. He wanted to be with Jesus. That's an invitation for us. That's the mindset we're to have is that Jesus shows us that even, even in the last moments that, that he was there to, to serve and to lay his life down, that he would still meet this man's need. And his faith, his faith would bring his healing. It's our faith in Christ that changes everything about us. It's our faith in Christ and, 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 and who he is and what he has accomplished for us that should cause us to not want to just go and live our lives for ourselves, to want to go after him, to follow him, to be with him, to, to live our lives with him. He didn't just go away, he goes with him. Now, what a, what a great object lesson here to see how Jesus makes someone great. Someone that the world has thrown out, and now we know his name. We see what God has done for him, and we see the way that he truly goes after Jesus. Man, this is a, an incredible story of how someone who is nothing is being made great by Jesus. According to spiritual greatness. Not according to this world, but according to kingdom greatness. He is a part of God's kingdom. Do you want to be great today? Is your journey to greatness about building up power and wealth and fame? Or is it about honoring and glorifying the name of Jesus? Is it about living for his kingdom and, and loving people so that they would know the love of God? Is it about sharing Christ with others? Truly, greatness is found in the kingdom of God. It's found in putting our trust in Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him. That's not just Sunday morning, it's not just Wednesday nights, but it's an every day. I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm, I'm just drawing close to you, and I'm being fulfilled and understanding the joy that is in Jesus. It's my prayer that we'll go and be great this week by loving others, and by being kingdom-minded, by serving others, and living in true greatness the way that the Bible tells us in this passage. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to just share what, what you've put on my heart and, and just, Lord, the reminder this week. We're sometimes difficult because I know I don't share in that greatness. I don't have that mindset often. But, Lord, help me. Lord, help us as a church to be people who, who go after kingdom greatness. Lord, who, who want to share in, in, in your glory that, that, Lord, that you so graciously give. Lord, help us live lives that, that exalt you as name above all names. Lord, that, that, that just treasure you and, and, and center our lives around you and your calling, and Lord, in our relationship with you. God, help us to have that kind of mindset, Lord. Lord, I pray now, Lord, as, as we're here today, God, that we would just surrender ourselves to you, whatever that looks like, God, in this time of, of, of prayer, of worship, 
Lord, that we would just um, just be focused on, on you, God, and what you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.